With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Phil, good day to you. We have seen so many special moments in this snooker year, but boy, did they save a good one for last. Ronnie O'Sullivan has claimed ranking title number 38 with victory of the World Grand Prix, beating Neil Robertson 10-8 in the final. A wonderful victory for O'Sullivan, and one that I would say, Phil, has pretty much delighted the snooker world. Yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? It was really entertaining. Um... It was an interesting tournament throughout for various reasons, and uh, that final was great. Yeah, it was almost, it felt like something of a surprise, which is a bit of a weird thing to say about Ronnie in the final. But uh, I think the consensus was that Robertson was the favourite, wasn't he? Um, but yeah, no, brilliant, brilliant work from Ronnie um, to battle back from behind. Any, any of this sort of not caring or suggestions of such seemed a long way away, and he played brilliantly. And uh, it's great for the sport having him winning tournaments, I think. Um, and a lot of people were watching, as you were saying about those viewing figures. They were great. They really were terrific, you know, over 830,000. I know this is very UK-centric, but, you know, by all means, anyone that has any other figures for us, we'd love to know them. But obviously, we're based in the UK, so we find those out more easily. Over 830,000 watching on ITV4, which is not a mainstream channel. It's a free-to-air channel but it's not one of those right at the top of the dial that we regard as real mainstream channels. That's absolutely excellent uh, figures for that channel. Add on to that streaming and various catch-up operations, and I reckon that's around a million. And that's terrific, you know. And I'll just say before we came on air, Phil, Sports Personality of the Year, which is traditionally a really big uh, event generally and certainly a big television event in this country, had, I think, approaching 4 million uh, watching that. And that puts it into perspective, you know, because that's like, I mean, what, what are we saying in British television terms? It's not up there with like a Strictly, but it, it you know, at the moment, but it's certainly maybe going back X Factor in terms of real incredible audiences. But it's certainly one of those sort of December staples where you expect mm. people to watch in their millions. And I think that, you know, a, a snooker final, and there's, you know, 20 of those in a final now uh, can get those numbers is great. Now, listen, there is a Ronnie factor. You know, I've, I've having this, I wouldn't say argument, I've been making this point on Twitter today. There is, any, there is a Ronnie factor, and there's no problem that there's a Ronnie factor. It's great. We're lucky to have him. We treasure him. We enjoy him. And he's brilliant. It, it, and this thing happens a lot in golf, where people are like, oh, it's a Tiger factor. That was great for golf. Tiger Woods is brilliant. But let's be clear here. People watch snooker in their thousands and, and indeed millions without Ronnie. So it's not just a Ronnie factor, but let's also say that, of course, you know, there was such a, an extra excitement about not just Ronnie being in finals, because that is quite typical in a way. He was in five last season. <laughs> him coming back and then winning it. And you know what, Phil? I just had a really big sort of smile on my face at the end there last night. It just, 
it was like a sort of rictus grin. It sort of appeared and I couldn't get rid of it. It was just, you know, we don't have favourites in our business, do we? It's not really appropriate or right to do that. But we're only, you know, fans at heart. And just, there's something so special about Ronnie. It was just, just put a smile on my face thinking that, I mean, we knew he could do it. We knew he'd win again, but we didn't quite think it would come here, as you say. And I put a poll up before the final. I think Robertson got about 60 odd percent. People always seem to vote for Ronnie, even if they don't believe it's going to be Ronnie, if you know what I mean. So if he's losing 60 odd to 30 odd, you know which way the wind's sort of blowing. But um, we're all sort of saying you never know, Ronnie might turn it on. But I think that was more kind of a faith thing than a real expectation. But he just had the most wonderful finish to the match, didn't he? And when he gets on a, on a roll like that, it's a joy to see, not just in snooker, but in sport, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was flying around the table, that serene break building. It makes everything look so easy. He doesn't really have a difficult shot to play because his white balls had such great control. And he's just the ultimate of making the game look simple. And there's, obviously there are some in there over the match, over the tournament, but often when he's playing well, there's not even sort of a highlight shot amongst it because he just he make, he puts the white ball exactly where it needs to be all the time and they're all straightforward. Or he makes them look even more straightforward. So, yeah, superb. And I know what you mean about sort of, it was enjoyable to watch and everyone was happy, even people who, wouldn't necessarily be Ronnie fans. I think I, I think just because he hadn't won for a while, and I suppose at his age and the way he's talking about, no, no one sensible was writing him off. But there is always a thought in the back of your mind that, you know, maybe he is coming towards the end. Maybe we haven't got too many more great Ronnie tournaments to watch. So just to, just to have that reassurance that, yeah, he's not done yet. We'll be watching this uh, genius for a while. Not everyone is the big. Not everyone is the biggest fan of Ronnie O'Sullivan, but you can't be a snooker fan and not like watching Ronnie O'Sullivan play well. I think that's that is an impossibility. Um, so to know that it's still there and it's going to be there for a while uh, is reassuring and enjoyable for sure. Yeah, it's a very good way of summing it up. There, I totally agree with the, the way you put that. Let's quickly uh, sort of recap the sort of main p- uh, parts and m- sort of moving parts of that final, as it were. It was four four after the first session. Now, I think Phil Yates in commentary called it a great piece of escapology from Ronnie yeah. because heaven knows how it was 4-4, really. I mean, it was 4-2 uh, to Robertson. Ronnie got one back there. And then the, the last one, as ever, in that context, totally crucial. It looked for all money like it was going to be 5-3 uh, to Robertson. Now, I asked Ronnie O'Sullivan after the final last night, did you consider giving up in that frame? He needed two snookers. Now, he told me that had there been no crowd, he thinks he would have just said, right, it's the end of the session, I'm off. Yeah, That's the way he framed it to me last night. But because there was a crowd, there's that extra sort of buzz around the place and like, yeah, you never know. But I have to say, I know exactly what you mean about you don't always remember Ronnie's shots, but you're doing that sequence because he played, I think, three of the most magnificent shots. They were inch perfect. And they weren't just, you know, snookering... uh, Neil Robertson, in terms of you know leaving the cue ball behind another behind another ball, it, he was leaving the red close to other balls and in horrible positions too. They were ghastly snookers. I mean, you know, even the greatest you know snooker escapers of a lot. I reckon Selby might have come a cropper. They were that good. Um, and of course, Ronnie won it and got four four. And I think most of us still thought Robertson was favourite then at four four. But you had that little inkling, didn't you? This is. This is not going the way we kind of thought at that stage. Yeah, definitely. And seeing Ronnie win frames in that manner, obviously can. We know how good he is at that that side of the game. But um, I think when you're seeing him competing like that in that in that manner, then it shows he's at least bang up for it, which I think he is usually bang up for it, but he's, he's not always. And uh, certainly he's accused of not being it even more than I would suggest that he is. Um but yeah, it was it was very very impressive, and yeah, his sort of knowledge of the table is uh, he'll never get the credit that some players get for that side of the game, just because of how good he is at break building and the flashy stuff. But uh, he's not far off as good as anyone else, and in that department as well, really. Um, and it's amazing to watch him do it. Um, but yeah, like you said, especially when obviously that would have hurt Robertson, but when he came out and won the first frame of the evening. Then you thought, oh, right, okay, maybe maybe he's not been rattled at all. Robertson's so machine-like and robotic at his best, and he doesn't seem flustered by anything. 
and he looked very good at the start of the evening session. So um, it took another great recovery uh, right at the end. And yeah, I mean, those sort of four, four or five frames where I was just making breaks in the evening was, it's as good as you can see. Even though they weren't, you know, that shows what we, I think we've said before on here, the centuries can be overrated because he didn't make, he didn't make a century, but I don't think you could see better breaks like aesthetically than those ones he was making. They were lovely. I totally agree. And do you know what? I keep looking time and time again because I, I don't know if it was a misprint. They seem to be all like 77s here. I mean, yeah. he, he got, <laughs> and it was 90, 77 and 77 um, to go 9-5. And do you know what it was reminiscent of for me? Uh, there weren't as many frames in the other example, but it was like when he came back against Selby. And I had to mm. mention that to him last night, to Ronnie. That was what it was like. It was that, to me, and I used this phrase when I spoke to Ronnie, it was like he went into a different realm. And it was like we went into a different realm watching it, actually. And I definitely had a bit of a deja vu because my main job is Metro and I always cover sports personality. I don't know why, but that, throughout my career, it's always been my... I don't know whether it's because I talk about all sports naturally or what it is or my sort of natural sort of love of telly. But I had that job. So at the same time, it was one of those where... I wasn't 100% engaged as I would like to have been, but I think I was probably 80-odd while I'd do my other duties. And we couldn't, for life reasons and work reasons, record on Sunday night, could we? But you know what? I was almost glad we couldn't, because on this occasion, I couldn't quite get my head around what I was seeing, let alone analyse it. It was like, it was this sort of different realm stuff. It was like, wait a sec, it's Robertson 7-5, bang, 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 bang. No, it's not. It's 9-7 Ronnie. What? You know, it, <laughs> It was so extraordinary to, to sort of watch and, and see. And even though we kind of have seen it before, maybe the fact we haven't for some time, it, it, it added to that sort of taking your breath away thing. But then I reminded people on social media, uh, reminding myself really, as we were going along, that of course, Neil Robertson was two down with three to play in his last ranking final. And I have to say, at 9-7, there was no way I was thinking this is definitely Ronnie now, not no. at all. I really thought Neil could win all three. He got back to 9-8 and uh, with a very good break of 88. Then he had that miscue, and that was unfortunate. I mean, he said he didn't chalk his cue enough. but And you could hear that groan, that cry from Neil. And then Ronnie in with another 77, yeah. and uh, he, he won the match. And it's brilliant. And, you know, talk about some rivalries or, or matches that you seem to some – some you don't seem to see a lot, which is quite unusual. But Ronnie and Neil is one you do see a fair bit of. And – they often seem to have special moments, don't they? Like the, the Thousand Centuries was the Ronnie Neil match. Yeah. Robertson's turned Ronnie over loads of times, actually. But it was those two coming together again. I thought Neil spoke beautifully, actually, talking about how, as a fan of snooker, he may have been gutted and disappointed. But seeing Ronnie was special, like we've been saying here. And I thought Ronnie spoke very well as well. And, you know, a very sporting attitude. And to be honest with you, a good night for the sport. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, they're both great to watch. They've got so much respect for each other. Um, Ronnie always talks uh, unbelievably highly of Neil in in all departments. I remember him saying things like, "If you had a daughter, you'd want them her to be going out with someone like Neil Robertson." I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I've that I'm not made that up. Um, he's, he, I mean, he always talks about his Q action being the best in the business. Um, although he talks a lot about Q actions in general, um, and yeah, he's just uh, he's got huge respect for him, and obviously Neil has for Ronnie as well. Um, so yeah, they do produce excellent contests, and um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was great for the sport for what we said before, having Ronnie competing uh, and winning titles again. It seems like it's a long time ago. I mean, realistically, it isn't. I think it might have been Gary Moss on Twitter. I said made, it made the point. Sorry if it was someone else, but his sort of last eighteen months, or whatever it is, would be most players in history's best run of their career, and it's still what we're talking about as being a, a bad spell for him. So it's got to be kept in perspective, isn't it? And we we struggle to do that sometimes with the greats, and he's certainly the greatest. Um, but yeah, he was talking about you know it was a couple of tournaments ago. He said it's all it's coming together. He's feeling well. It might cold come come together at Sheffield. Uh, it's, it came together uh, on Sunday, and it might stay together. You never know. He's uh, I was looking at the rankings, and there's. There's a half decent possibility if he can keep playing well that he could be number one in the world again before the World Championships, which would be quite incredible, really. Um, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> but yeah, Sunday was very, very good. 
there are things we're going to forget as, as always, but one thing that comes to me right now, and I must say before I forget, is that he was also banging on the drum last night about winning when not playing well, which actually, in terms of the tournament as a whole, he was quite right to make that point. Mm. But he didn't really hit the heights to the extent that really most people did not expect him to win that final. And, and that wasn't just because Ronnie lost a lot of finals. It was because on sheer form, the way they were both playing. And, and actually, Ronnie was sort of saying that he's done that quite a lot. And he probably has. I said that point before that, you know, I often find that gritty, com, you know, compelling battle in Ronnie as much of a, as a sort of delight to watch often, even as the, you know, thriller minute big break Ronnie. And listen, He's never going to be quite in the same league as, as a Selby B-game player or a Higgins. But he's a bit like you said with the, I think you mentioned the safety. He's not that far away. He's still a, he's still a player that can that can sort of get over the line with his B-game. And I think, I mean, he reached A+. plus. He reached godlike for those few frames on Sunday night. But apart from that, I'm giving him a B at most for some of those performances. I mean, it, we'll come to the semi later, but I mean, the semi against Stuart Bing, I mean, I think Stuart dragged him down a little bit, to be fair, but I'm not sure what he got above C in that. <laughs> oh, yeah, certainly his first couple of games, Andy Hicks and Hussein Vafai, um, there were some, yeah, some very bad frames there. And, uh, yeah, there was a little indication watching those couple of matches that he was going to win the tournament. And he said so himself. That was when, after he beat Vafai, when he was talking about how, he can't carry on playing like this. It, he, he's planning to retire in three years because it's, he felt embarrassed playing like that. And he had just won 4-1. I think he, he made an 80 in a century in the final two frames. So he always hands it up a bit. But uh, there were certainly some moments where it was pretty poor. But um, yeah, he carried on building. He was I thought he was good in the quarterfinal against Robertson and against Jimmy Robertson. Um, but then, yeah, the semi again, a bit ropey. But he, he, did, he did more than enough, didn't he, all the way through. And... Uh, he said, yeah, certainly his B game is often enough. I mean, last time he won the World Championship, it, I think that wasn't far off his B game, really. Um, but that, that's the genius of the man. It, yes, I, again, I think you're probably right. He, that last World Championship that he won was a lot of B and, and A when it mattered again, wasn't mm. it? I mean, I was thinking that the other day, everyone remembers Selby, but I think people forget how often he was actually in trouble in that tournament. He was losing to Williams and looked like he could have been on his way out. I think he was behind against Ding as well, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. As well as the Selby. So, yeah, he, you know, he, he has those A-game moments, those A-game spurts. And uh, what does it remind me of now? I, I was thinking about interviewing Barry Herm. This might have been when we saw the Rat Pack, actually, and a few of us in, in the theatre in, in, in London seeing the sort of premiere of it, and Barry Home was there, and we were chatting away about different champions. And he was sort of making the point that Alex Higgins, Mercurial, and, you know, Jimmy, obviously, again, that, that wonderful, incredible natural talent. And, and, but Hendry, that, that fierce determination. And he was sort of saying Ronnie has a bit of all of them, which is kind of a, a bit of a fair way of saying it, actually, I think, because he, of course he has the natural talent and the brilliance, but he also has that steeliness, doesn't he? You know, I mean... You know, we know the stuff now. I don't want to win. I'm not interested. I mean, most of the pundits were saying, you know, I don't believe that for a minute. I mean, how can you believe it? I mean, <laughs> you know, he wants to win. But if he's telling himself that stuff that I don't I don't want to and I just like my running and I enjoy, this is a hobby and a holiday for me, even if it's sort of not exactly true, I guess if he's telling himself that, it all works for him if you, if you get my drift. Well, yeah, I think I think it can sort of seep in, and you can start to believe your own sort of gimmick, as it were, or his own shtick. But also, he's sort of he's telling himself to relax that, and as well. But yeah, now Hector Nunn did a piece with him over the last few days, um, and that was about the work rate. How he's often described as a genius, which is fair, but he's he, he feels his sort of his work ethic is underplayed by that because you know obviously he has got a lot of natural talent, but it's not like he can just swan about and not put the as not put the hours in. You know since. I mean, as young as he can remember, I imagine he was, he's been putting out an obscene amount of work into this game and he, it's too hard not to. So, yeah, I think he was saying he, he, uh, he'd like to, he'd like to receive the credit he deserves for his hard work as well as his, as his, as his gifts. But yeah, I think that's fair. He's got, he's got it both. Uh, and there's no, there's no way, there's no way you could do what he's done without that. And I've spoken to players about that before and they all say like when he's saying he doesn't practice, they know it's not true because you couldn't win any games if you hadn't been practicing whoever you are. 
Um, same with someone like Mark Williams, who's often saying he doesn't do, he's not doing anything. He is, or else he wouldn't be competing, however good he is. So yeah, um, yeah, I think that's a good way of saying it. He's a bit of a, a mix of all those geniuses, uh, which has left him on top of them all, which is great. Yeah, no, very much so. And uh, let's say again, it's 38 ranking titles for Ronnie. Put that in perspective a bit. This is now the top 10 that I scribbled down. It's Ronnie O'Sullivan with 38, Stephen Hendry 36, John Higgins 31, Steve Davis 28, Mark Williams 24, Judd Trump 22, Neil Robertson 21, Mark Selby 20, Ding Junwee 14, and Jimmy White 10. So Ronnie, you know, Getting nearer that 40 mark, that would be a sort of a real sort of stage impose if you can get there. You wouldn't put him put it past him, you really wouldn't. And it's 28 years since his first ranking title, okay. which is ludicrous, absolutely extraordinary. The 1993 UK, and as you rightly say, you know, it's not that long since his last win, the world championship of last year. But I don't know if it's because of pandemic life and we've been struck by so many kind of um, blows in a collective sense and the way life's been so difficult but it it's 16 months it could be 32 months I think I think that's what it is it feels like it could be maybe longer than it actually is if you know what I mean oh yeah I mean placing times on things over the last couple of years has felt incredibly difficult you could say things happened to me two years ago or two weeks ago and I often would believe you either way <laughs> it's very confusing um actually I remember hearing something quite interesting about it. it's a bit different now because we've been out and about but during lockdown um, when the first lockdown, when everyone was properly just sat in at home all the time, your memories are sort of linked to certain what you see and smell and hear, uh, even if they're largely irrelevant to what the memory is. But because we were all just sat in the same place all the time, it was much harder for us to remember things because they're all just linked to your front room or your kitchen or whatever. So it, it was scientifically more difficult to remember things and place things in time because we had no little attachments to put memories on. So. Uh, anyway, that's got nothing to do with snooker, but I thought it was quite interesting. <laughs> but yeah, um, it does feel uh, feel a lot longer than it than it uh, was that he was lifting that world championship. But yeah, like I said before, um, he's had those five finals, plenty of quarters and semi-finals. For almost any other player, he'd have had a very very good time of it. But because it's Ronnie O'Sullivan, it seemed like a minor crisis. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure. Like I'll, I'll speak for many many people out there. Uh, I've always gauged my life by, by sporting events, not news events as well, but mostly sport. I can tell you, oh, yes, that was the year that so-and-so won the cup or so-and-so won the World Snooker or what the Wimbledon final was, even right back to when I was a boy, back to the 80s. But there was that kind of weird period in 2020 where nothing really happened in sport. Yeah. So people said to me, what, what happened in April and May 2020? I'd be like, ooh. I'm going tell you what happened on June the 1st because Snooker came back with the championship yeah. Racing came back and the Premier League resumed, I think, on the on the 16th or 17th. But April and May, I think we just all went for a few walks, didn't we? You know, that's about what it <laughs> Yeah, that was it. We were on, desperately but... trying to come up with uh, content, weren't we? I was doing a lot of interviews with very bored sportsmen. <laughs> we had nothing to talk about, really, but, yeah, we got by. Well, I mean, touching wood, that's where my, my love of nostalgia came into its element in more than ever before, Phil, because they were like, just write about the past, Nick. I thought, yes, yeah. I I can do that. Now that sort of kept me ticking over. But yeah, even though, <laughs> even in my love of the past, I was like, please bring sport back. We, yeah. <laughs> we were all basically on our knees by the end, weren't we, demanding and, and wishing it come back. But uh, it is back now. And uh, we're, we're very much in the thick of this, of this snooker season. And we, we've seen one of its, one of its great chapters, really, of, of this snooker year right at the end. Ronnie O'Sullivan winning. Let's go back a little bit then to earlier on in the tournament. And, uh, last 32, of course, 32 players on the one-year list in, in this tournament. And a uh, couple of the early matches here, Anthony Hamilton, four, Kyron Wilson, three. Top win for Hamilton, uh, Phil, I'm continuing that sort of great trend uh, for him. Uh, a really good match, Jack Lesowski, four, Mark Williams, three. Superb clearance from Lesowski to win it. I think David, <laughs> David Hendon was on commentary for that. And he's making the point quite rightly that we all as a community and certainly pundits and people in snooker can, and fans can be hard on this Sowski. But when he's playing well like that, he's such a joy to watch. He really is. And he was on that kind of form in that match. Uh, defeat for Zhao Zingtong, of course, back down to earth, the UK champion, losing 4-2 uh, to Martin Gould. 
Uh, and Mark Selby beating Barry Hawkins 4-1. Another result of no Ali Carter 4, David Gilbert 1. But yeah, Kyron Wilson listened to Hamilton, certainly one that caught the eye. Yeah, and Kyron had a sort of disappointing loss in the previous time in the Scottish Open to Fergal O'Brien. So he's had a sort of funny end to the season, really. Um, although semis at the UK and semis the champion champion. So it's certainly not all bad. But yeah, that was certainly a surprise. Uh, it was a classic Hamilton match. I mean, it went on quite late into the night. It uh, wasn't always pretty, but um, yeah, great result for Anthony. He's just having a season much better than anyone would have imagined, really. Um, there was certainly like very warranted fears of dropping off tour, but I think that's out of the window now, and some, unless something incredible happened, but I can't see it. Um, so yeah, yeah, very good for him. And although it didn't get any easier because he had Neil Robertson next, it didn't go so well, but I'm sure he'll still have been happy with his one win there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, moving into the the, the last 16, uh, Judd Trump losing 4-3 uh, to, to Tom Ford. Now, Trump is, you know, has still had a terrific win, a champion of champions. But I am reminded of Anthony Hamilton coming on this podcast. Now, he said that Judd would start to have more normal patterns now. He said, it, you, you cannot do it. He said, you cannot do it physically, you cannot do it mentally. And that always, Anthony said loads of great things on there, but that always stuck with me. And to be honest with you, Judd probably will have a more normal season. And, and, and maybe so he should, i.e. two or three victories, not five, six. Yeah. And maybe that is the way it's going. And maybe that's, the, we should frame it as being more normal rather than all Judd's falling off the, you know, the, his high levels, you know. But, he, you know, he, he hasn't had quite that same consistency in this first half of the season, has he? I think that's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely, and even to it, if you if you're winning two or three tournaments a year, that's still in, incredible stuff. It's only would be less than his ridiculously high standard before, um, but it's it's rare that anyone gets more than that anyway. So if that if that became normality, then still still excellent. Um, and yeah, I guess yeah, I think I mean Anthony had a point. There was almost no way you could carry on winning five or six a year. Um, I mean, we'll see. He could still prove us wrong. He's already got one. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, he, he hasn't looked... He was really good at the Champions of Champions, wasn't he? But in general this season, he hasn't looked quite at the standard he was playing a year or so ago. Um, and, and results have proved that. It was really well played by Tom Ford, who beat John Higgins in the first round. And Ford's always one of those players, I think, um, could be challenging for things a bit more than he is, or certainly getting... The latter stages of things a bit more than he is. He's brilliant when he's uh, on song, as as all those one four sevens he makes <laughs> proves. Um, it seems to be in his head more than in his uh, in his uh, hands that's the problem. But um, yeah, great win for Ford and Trump will have to go and regroup, and I'm sure he will and come back strong in the second half of the season. But yeah, he'll be disappointed. He'll have uh, he'll have expected more than one tournament at this stage of the season, I think, judging by the standards he sets himself. By his high standards, I'm sure you're absolutely right. Well, certainly another man that's been that's given us very high standards lately is Luca Purcell, but he actually lost 4-3 to uh, Jimmy Robertson, which was a, a rare blow in this um, tremendous December for, for Purcell. Of course, the, the new Scottish Open winner. Uh, another interesting result, Stephen Maguire 4, Jack Lazowski 3. Now, while I was praising Lazowski for the way he cleared up to beat Williams, you have to be disappointed because it did feel like this was opening up a little bit for him, wasn't it? But here we are. That, that's, that's the way it goes. The, the sooner that tournament win comes comes for him, I know it sounds obvious, the better really, because it's sort of a bit silly he hasn't won one, isn't he? It's a bit annoying almost, if you know what I mean. It, annoying and silly aren't, aren't, the, aren't the best words for a pundit to use, but you know what I mean? It almost feels like it needs to happen because it just... Oh, you, you want to sort of correct what feels like a wrong, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, Mark Williams is very complimentary after he lost to Lasowski, saying he couldn't believe how he's not won, not just one, but loads of tournaments. And he made an interesting point. He said if you could practice with him for 12 to 18 months, he'd say he'd win a tournament straight away, which I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'd love to see it. <laughs> it sort of took him under his wing a bit. Um, but yeah, now that, I mean, it was sort of... It was sort of typical Lisowski, wasn't it? He, brilliant to win that game against Williams. And then he got himself in a great position against Maguire. I think he was 3-1 up. Maguire even said at the end he should have just put him away 4-1. Um, he was well in charge and he sort of just fell away. And Maguire, Maguire ended well. He ended, I think he got three half centuries at the end. 
Um, but it was certainly got in a position for Lasowski's to lose and lose it he did. Um, so we'll see. I mean, Lasowski's talking about this sort of link up with Peter Ebden. Um, it, it wasn't just that one off at the UK. I think he was talking about it. Um, they've been sort of regularly talking. Uh, and after the Williams game, he was saying that that really helped in that decider and that brilliant break he made. So maybe that will help long term if he keeps it up. But yeah, it's, <laughs> I do know what you mean because I think when that him and Gilbert, when it was those two and it was sort of evenish about who was the best player not to win it at all. And yeah, now it's just by so far it's Lasowski. I know what you mean. It does seem daft that that could continue. But as we said it a load of times, you know, it, we're all saying it's nailed on and he's going to win one, but you never know until he does. He's he's come close a lot of times, but he's not looked that close that recently. He, doesn't, he had that patch, didn't he, where he seemed to be playing Judd in every final that was going, but that's fallen away a little bit. So he's got to get up back to that standard. Um, and yeah, we'll see. I mean, at the same time, no one would be surprised to see him in the next final. So wait and see, but it is frustrating. If you're a Jack Lasowski fan, um, it must be a, a frustrating thing to watch. Yeah, no, undoubtedly. I think to some extent we're all Jack Lasowski fans, aren't we? Yeah. To, 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 to greater or lesser degrees. Uh, Stuart Bingham, four, Ali Carter, three. Now, that was a repeat of the Masters final at the start of last year. So, I mean, if, if, if the 2020 World Championship feels like 32 months ago, I don't, I don't know how long the, the 2020 Masters final, that, that, was, yeah. that was in, I had a, a chat with a couple of friends actually lately and we were sort of saying, I think I'm generally fascinated by that whole first initial lockdown period anyway. But that bit before, like the January, February, and even the start of March, feels so weird now because we had a normal life, you know, a, yeah. normal, a normal Ali Pali, full. Goodness me. Um, anyway, let, let's uh, move on and also talk about, uh, yes, Ronnie O'Sullivan for Hossein Bafai one. That's where Ronnie called his performance horrendous. And I know it's you made the point. Someone said, pinch of salt to you on Twitter and you made the very nice turn of phrase that, uh, yes, it's always good to have it handy. <laughs> because, yeah. yes, Ronnie was very down about his performance. But um, as, as we know, it, that, that being very down in the end translated into, into holding that rather nice trophy that you were purring about aloft on Sunday. Oh, I do love that trophy. Yeah, it's delightful. I was thinking uh, the seniors one is also is that sort of jug shape. But I'm not sure which is nice. This, the Silver Grand Prix one is, is lovely, yeah. Uh, the th- yeah, the thing with O'Sullivan, those comments he made after the Vire game, and he was talking about he's got three more world championships and then he's saying that would probably be it. And he said that before. He said that to me at the English Open as well. And he, and, and he, said, it, he said it after the final. Yeah. And, I mean, certainly when O'Sullivan talks about retiring, you don't think, OK, that's definitely happening. He's been saying it since he was a teenager. So... We're not certainly not falling into that trap, but it does sound, you know, you could conceive that happening. It's not, I'm not saying it's definitely not happening. Um, so of course, everything comes with a pinch of salt with Ronnie. Um, and I'm certainly not going to ch- write down that date, you know, the 2024 World Championship. I'm going to put that in my diary as Ronnie O'Sullivan retiring, but I'm not ruling it out happening just yet. So it's, uh, He's, if he said it three times and if he keeps saying it, then, yeah, it could. Well, I think what is fair to say is that him saying, I've got three more world championships in me is, is a lot more realistic and uh, f- f- foreseeable. Is that even a word? It, it, mm. it, it's something you can visualise a lot more than him saying, I'm walking away tomorrow, which, yeah. you, know, which you know is not going to happen. But you're right. Him putting a number in it like that, and it's kind of a realistic kind of time. He'll be not far from 50 then, wouldn't he be? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I would think you, if I'm, if you, you know, if you're making me give a prediction, I'd say you probably play at least five more. But you're right, there, there's something, there is a, a bit more realism about that talk than we, we, we too often get from Ronnie. Yeah. Into the quarterfinals, then Mark Selby five, uh, Tom Ford two. Yeah, I was really taken by what you were saying about uh, Ford uh, earlier, actually. He's a lovely player, said it before on here, he really is. But, you know, Mark was quite outspoken. As he, well, maybe not outspoken, he was just, you know, being honest, really, saying that he didn't think Tom had worked hard enough. And he was saying that Tom would be the first to admit that. Um, I don't know, we had to ask Tom Ford if that's the case. Maybe we'll have him, have him on here one day. But 
the, the issue I've always had with him, I, I think, you know, his mentality can be called into question. I think his head goes down a bit too easily. That's why I always think about him. When the chips are down, I never think he's a sort of guy to, to necessarily climb out of that hole type of thing. But, you know, he's a smashing player on, on, on his day. But obviously there was the big Leicester element there. They both know each other really well. They both normally cheer each other on. So um, it was a kind of, you know, a friendly battle, as it were, but Selby was the one that, that won it 5-2. Mm-hmm. Um, Robertson and Yamping Tao, I, I saw bits of, and it, it sounded terrific. I mean, in the end, it didn't work out like this, but it, it, it had it had the look of a top-quality encounter that the winner of the match was probably more than likely going to win the tournament. It's that kind of thing. Robertson won yeah. it 5-4. And um, Mark Sanifor, the top journalist, we try and get him, get him on here one day, the PA... Uh, snooker man among other things PA golf man as well was saying that every time he sees Yannis he's a multiple world champion and nothing can dissuade him from that view and yeah he may have lost this match but that's kind of how it's looking isn't it yeah I think so because the thing that people still criticise him for is he's not as heavy a scorer as some people and yeah he's not the heaviest scorer but he just he doesn't struggle to make breaks you know he makes plenty of big breaks so I don't see many holes in his game at all really and for for a man of his age, um, he's not going to get any worse, is he? Anytime soon, he's probably going to get better. And even if he stays as he is now, then he's in contention for the big one. So, yeah, like we said a load of times, you can't guarantee world championships for anyone. But I'd be stunned if he doesn't end his career with at least one. Yeah, I'd go along with that. The other two quarterfinals: Ronnie O'Sullivan five, Jimmy Robertson two. And I know you're saying off air that Ronnie did play well in that match. Uh, and Stuart Bingham, five, Stephen Maguire, one. Now, I think we, we, we might be talking around the Robertson Selby uh, semi quite a bit, Phil, because I, I I was out with an old school pal that last night. That night, I know you didn't see too much of it yourself. So we can say that it's a top win for Robertson, uh, 6-3, and it's continuing that trend of Robertson beating Selby. Since last year's World Championship, I think it's five in a row now. Yeah. And that's quite something against Selby, you know. You know, it doesn't matter if you're as good as Neil Robertson. That's excellent. But what I've been thinking in my head since, let's see what, what it's like when they meet at the Crucible again. That yeah. really, let's hope they do. I'll be fascinated to see who wins that. I think I'd still back Selby. Just in a pure horses for courses way yeah. at that venue. But I have to say, that is some fearsome record over the last year or so that Robertson's got over Selby. Yeah, I mean, it shows how uh, how consistent they are, that they've played five times since that 2020 uh, World Championship. And four, one has been in a quarterfinal and the other four have been in semi-finals. So they always meet, as their seedings would suggest, right, the, the business end of events. And for, yeah, for Robertson to beat Selby in five matches and spin in anything, but for them, four of them to be in semi-finals and the other one in a quarterfinal of big tournaments is... It's amazing, really. Anyone would be delighted with that against Mark Selby. And yeah, I didn't see much of that game, but just by looking at the breaks, all six frames he won were with big breaks. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's part of why we're saying that a lot of people were expecting Robertson to win because uh, brushing aside Mark Selby like that, you'd be favourite to beat almost anyone in the next game. Definitely. Uh, now, the other semi, I wish I was out with the pal, but no, I, I, st- I stayed in to watch that. And you know some snooker matches, like the final, for example, really reach the parts. Well, O'Sullivan v Bingham reached almost no parts. Ronnie won it 6-2, um, but it was a really hard match to watch. I mean, Ronnie said they were like a couple of pub players. As usual, Ronnie hamming it up for comedy purposes. I think Bingham in particular was really bad, and I felt he may have just dragged the whole level of the match down. Stewart said he just couldn't get used to the table, the different table that you've been playing all, all week, and he just found the conditions tough. And he just really couldn't get involved in the match. He missed a black right at the end, a sitter that sort of said it all. It was just a yeah, really disappointing match. But again, it added to that 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 sort of thinking that uh, hang on a minute, you know, I think Ronnie might lose another final here because he d- he didn't look like he was in that kind of form. Yeah, other Roberts from the next day. But again, you know, fall back on another thing we often think: forget the Saturday when it comes to the Sunday. They can they could be so different, and they really were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, and Stewart's had a funny season so far, hasn't he? Has been a bit up and down, and then um, I think you said before you, you think he, Stewart doesn't. He is a bit not nervous, but maybe not as confident against O'Sullivan as he should be. I mean, it takes a lot of confidence to be confident against Ronnie, but 
Stuart, Stuart could compete better with Ronnie than he does, perhaps. Yeah, I'd, for, I'd forgotten making that point, but I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, I, I, I'd have to look now. Is it? I think it may have been 17-3, now it's 18-3 or something like that. The, the head-to-head is sort of ridiculous. I mean, it, mm. it, it shouldn't be like that. You know, uh, it, you know, Stuart should win probably a third of their matches, I'd say, or at least a quarter. But, you know, to win barely a seventh or an eighth of their matches is, is ridiculous, really. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I do tend to think Stuart has a, has a bit of, a, of an issue. He, he would probably say he doesn't. But uh, just as an observer, I think there's a there's a bit of an inferiority complex there with Stuart for one reason or another that he never has with Trump. Um, I don't know if it's just an age thing or or what it is, but yeah, I always feel Ronnie might be mentally one or two frames up. And listen, Stuart's not alone in that. But the reason I notice is is actually Stuart's a, a world champion and a Masters champion. He shouldn't really be almost overall by anybody. But I kind of always think he might be by Ronnie, uh, and largely because of that, you know, outrageous career record in in O'Sullivan's favour. But yeah, it was um. It was Ronnie getting in the final, and then we had that you know wonderful conclusion and a, and a good tournament. Phil, let's just say you know ITV cover them well. We know that you know really really good job done again. You know you're seeing the players that are generally in quite good form. It's the it's on the one year list and just a, a really enjoyable tournament. Around a million, you know, when you think about all the different ways of watching it, watch the final in the UK, watch the climax. So another good week for the. Uh, for the game and yes I mean listen we'll talk in a minute the championship league's underway but in terms of really really big snooker that's sort of a good way to sign off for 21 wasn't it yeah definitely and the viewing figures considering how much snooker we've had um yeah people aren't bored of it obviously we've had back to back to back tournaments haven't we since start of the champion of champions um it's been an awful lot but um I can't remember who was making this point for maybe it was on the snooker scene podcast but um People saying that that is that does work that way that people just are used to having the snooker on, so keep having the snooker on rather than getting burnt out by it or bored by it. And clearly, those excellent figures show. And yeah, yeah, it's always great. All these tournaments are always great. Um, the, it'll lead up to the players and the tour championships, which uh, seem bigger and bigger. Like a lot of people talking about the tour championship as sort of the fourth major now, and uh, this is the start of that three three event series, the Kazoo series, as it's now called. So. Uh, yeah, the battle is now on to get into the next one. Because, um, yeah, I mean, that. I guess getting into this one is most players' aims at the start of the season, I would think. Because even if you low down the rankings, you've got a chance on the one-year list of sneaking into this. Um, and now, yeah, the, the scrap really is on to get to the players now. Yes, they get more prestigious as they go on, don't they? This mm. is good. This feels great. But the 16 one is, yeah, God, proper. And then, yeah, up to a different level. When we the tour championship is just... Talk about starting with a bang. I mean, it's only a few years old, but it's just it's just fabulous, yeah. isn't it? It really is special. There's a couple of things I noticed on the rankings, just of um, players that even weren't in here. And we've mentioned it before, but Ding is now down to number 29 in the rankings after not playing in this. And he's not in the German Masters. He's not in the European Masters. He won't be in the Players' Championships. So we, we, we'd mentioned Ding's slide down the rankings, but it really could get ridiculous he's yeah. in danger of being outside of the 32 which is insane and uh we said before he's, he's he's the fourth highest ranked chinese player at the minute but the two players immediately blowing him in the rankings are Zhao Gudong and Lu Ning so before you know it he could be the sixth highest ranked chinese player if he's not careful um which is bizarre isn't it and uh I know it's Joe Perry's at number 33 in the rankings now and he's been in the top 32 for 20 years I think um so yeah another dramatic slide which I hope for the gentleman's sake, I hope he arrests pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, Ding's nowhere, you know, again, you know, it's all subjective. Rankings don't lie. It's the evidence on paper. But yeah. you know, he, he, you know, give you all the theory you want, there's no way Ding in talent and, and qualities, you know, should be anywhere near that low. But that's happens. He's not putting the results on the board. So, and uh, you know, that, and, and you know, a bit like league tables, you can quibble all you want at the end of a long football season. You think, well, this team shouldn't be there or that team shouldn't be there, but that's where they are, type thing. Yeah. As we as we said before. But listen, Phil, the roadshow never ends, thankfully, and the Championship League is underway uh, with some action in these final days before uh, Christmas. Uh, and Graham Dot, Liang Wenbo, Ryan Day, Jack Lisowski, Gary Wilson, Zhao Yulong, and Tom Ford are in action. And uh, 
Well, the, uh, I mean, the Championship League is on is on telly more often than the Sound of Music, isn't it? I mean, we, we, <laughs> we you know, it keeps, you know, we have so many versions of it now. It's like it's become the ultimate old friend, doesn't it? In Snoopy, you know, the great survivor. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, it's you know, it's no one's favourite tournament. Let's put it that way, but. There's that group of players you've named there. It's a great little bunch to watch. And uh, I sort of flicked it on for a bit this afternoon and people are banging in sentries all over the place. So um, they're a bit more relaxed, behind closed doors, aren't they, in their polo shirts. And the quality has been really high. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, as I said, it's not it's no one's highlight of the calendar, is it? But uh, it's, a, it's a nice little watch when it is on. You can flick it on for the odd frame. Uh, and, yeah, great players. What a great little group that is. No, it's a smashing players, no, no doubt about it. And- well, uh, I, I feel like we, we, this has been a very light episode so far, but um, light and dark are often closer than we want. And you saying about behind closed doors there, unfortunately, that might be something that we have to get used to for more high profile events. So I know we said off air, but, you know, that we do fear that there could be a worry over the Masters. Let's wait and see. We don't know what the, the government are going to announce in the UK, but the way it's going... Um, the hope that we have a Masters, which we all want to have, a full Ali Pali, uh, you know, watching the best players in the world might at the moment be something that we're not going to see. But let's wait and see on that one uh, and, and try and be as optimis- optimistic as we can. But there is Championship League action before that, isn't there? The Masters now three weeks away. And when you think that Christmas and New Year and all that entails will come in between, it will soon come round, won't it? So, we, you know, we, whichever guys that we see the Masters in, we will cover it in full on Talking Snooker. That's a guarantee. Absolutely. Maybe if the players put some wine and cheese on the tables, they could get away with it and allow the crowd in. Bloody hell. Now that is satire, Bill Hayes. <laughs> you raised it up a bar there. Yeah, that, 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 that might be a way of getting away with it. Who knows? Now, we must mention uh, Stephen Hallworth on last week, um, mustn't we, uh, Phil? Um, we don't always uh, uh, like to... Um, necessarily look at everything that people have said about about a previous week but actually we had so much reaction in Stephen Hallworth we knew he'd be excellent eloquent uh, you know really fascinating actually about about what's what life is like for those players towards the other end of the rankings the one we talk about a little bit less and you know very good ideas very good thoughts and you know very passionately argued actually that he thinks mm. it's time for there to be you know, more of an even spread of money. And certainly, you know, players shouldn't be out of pocket and should be paid expenses. And if it's okay, I'm just going to read out a few of the reactions we did have have to that. Uh, John writes to us and says, another superb episode and a cracking discussion. Fully agree with Stephen Hallworth. To secure the future, World Snooker Tour must protect the now. Snooker must be for everyone, not an elite sport, where only those who can afford it can become pro. Uh, The Green Bays, a.k.a. Daniel Clark, friend of this podcast, says, great contribution from Stephen. You can have all the debates you like about prize money, Ronnie's comments, etc. But when you hear the 70th ranked player in the world talking about having to work a full-time job to stay afloat, you know something has to be done. David Hendon, one of the great voices of this sport, of course, presenter of the Snooker Scene podcast. Some sound ideas here about helping and better promoting lower ranked players. Particularly worth listening to younger players who have a handle on social media, etc., and actively want to do their bit. Pat Fitzgerald says, really enjoyed that podcast. Stephen Hallworth spoke very well, seems very smart, articulate, and really explained the struggles of lower-ranked players. I hope he has a very successful season. And one more, the snooker shed. Full respect to you, Stephen. The glamour of the snooker world that punters imagine was laid bare with your honesty. I totally agree that the game has to support all the players by funding expenses at the very least. Excellent to listen to you. And for Juice Phil, you're the one that got him on this podcast. I know you brought up a nice sort of relationship with him and spoken to him a few times now. And uh, we knew he'd be great value. That's not showing off. That's why we got him on here. But he really delivered, didn't he? He was smashing. Oh, definitely. And I think there was all that side that, that Dave mentioned in history there about... Um the ideas of promoting players and stuff. I don't think we really expected that. We knew we were going to talk about the expenses or prize money first round, but Stephen had all sorts of other ideas and uh, plans that he'd like to see put into action. So, yeah, he's, he's definitely spent a lot of time thinking about it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it can something can happen now because I think 
we don't want to get too biased one or the other, but I think I'm certainly on the side of there should be some expenses paid and we don't want to see them out of pocket. Um, and yeah, and all those sort of wider thoughts on promoting younger, lower ranked players they wouldn't normally, it's all very interesting. And it all sounded, you know, not just for the good of Stephen Holworth, but for the good of snooker in general. So yeah, let's uh, hopefully see some, some action on it now. Indeed, and we loved having Stephen on here. Well, this, this is, a, by our standards, not a long episode at all. So I think we can clap on with correspondence and just about uh, update all of us with, with the various uh, emails we've had in from you. And then we'll, we'll, we'll say goodbye for now. Uh, Steve Douglas wrote to us on email. Uh, full disclosure, a, a friend of mine, absolute snooker fanatic. Good to hear from you, Steve. Says, dear Nick and Phil, after Zhao Zingtong's win at the UK Championship, and Luca Purcell's victory at the Scottish Open, Snooker has two more players to add to the list of potential title winners each week. In your view, has the game ever had such strength in depth and quality? I know Judd Trump is regarded as the favourite for most tournaments, and John Higgins is a perennial finalist these days, but it seems there are so many more candidates now. Interested to hear your thoughts. Keep up the good work, Steve. Well, the short answer is yes. I think it's fair to say that the strength in depth is terrific at the moment and loads of players can win the tournament. And it made me think, you know, specifically about the World Championship, Phil. You know, I think we've all had periods in our life where we can remember when realistically you go into a tournament thinking only three or four can win this Mm. or maybe half a dozen. But you know now it's a dozen. It's at least a dozen. players that arrive, in my opinion anyway, players that arrive right at the top of the rankings or they've been to semis and finals before the Crucible or they just generally are playing well that season. There are so many right at the top and even the ones just below as well. We saw that from you know with two players outside the top 16 in the UK final. So many that can win tournaments now. And listen, we're all the better for it, aren't we? Because, you know, when, when the game's competitive like that, you know, we're, all of us, fans, journalists, we all we all benefit, don't we? Yeah, I mean, it struck me that Ronnie winning on Sunday, so there's been eight big tournaments so far this this season, not all rankers because I'm counting the, the champion champions in there, but eight tournaments, eight different winners. So that shows just how varied it can be. That proves the point more than anything. And so that's Championship League, Dave Gilbert, Mark Williams at the British Open, Mark Allen, Northern Ireland, Robertson, English Open. Judd won the champion champions, Zhao and Luca and Ronnie, as, as uh, was mentioned there. And so that's without John Higgins, Mark Selby, Karen Wilson, Sean Murphy, just to name a few to win one yet. So that could easily carry on. That's not necessarily ending there. There's plenty more tournament winners uh, in waiting, as it were. And I had a little look at last season. Um, the first eight tournaments ended up the Grand Prix as they did this time. And uh, there, were, there were five compared to eight different ones there because Judd and uh, Selby had won multiple ones but yeah show I mean that proves as easily as anything how competitive it is that it's a different bloke picking up the trophy every week uh, yes and I guess it's just as simple as the the decline in those job numbers is bringing everyone mm. else more more into it kind of thing and actually you know if that's eight already that's a potential for 13 14 15 isn't it no question if you think that you you know, you're going to get some of those ones you mentioned there. Higgins hasn't won one yet. You know, he, the way he's playing, you know, you can easily see him getting over the line one week. Uh, you know, Sean Murphy, of course, uh, Selby. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's funny to think in a way that Mark hasn't won one since the World yeah. Championship, but that, that's what the, you know, he's just reached a semi here. So, you know, he's not, not playing badly by any means, but, you know, it's good to see. It's always that debate, isn't it, actually? It reminds me, I think we said it here before, what's better? for one player to be totally dominant or for the titles to be spread around. And actually, I think the evidence might say it's one, one player. That's the, on actual evidence, you know, hard ratings numbers, you know, viewing figures. Certainly the case when Tiger was dominating it in, mm-hmm. in goal. I think it was the same when Phil Taylor was dominating in, in, in darts. Um, and, and maybe when Hendry was dominating in, in snooker, people wanted to truly to see him lose, frankly, and maybe with David yeah. before that. So, you know, we wouldn't complain if it was just one person, but for the same token, I think it's healthy for the sport to spread it around. And, you know, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the Ronnie factor thing, not, not just a Ronnie factor. There's Williams, there's Higgins, you know, like, oh, what's life going to be like after them? Well, it's good. We've got Shao Tong. 
and Luca Purcell and Kyron Wilson, who's pretty young still, and Judd. And, you know, keep the old, keep the story flowing, Phil, and the, and the future takes care of itself. And that's what we want to see, isn't it? Yeah. I think with that sort of age debate and where it's coming from, like Selby and Robertson, um, they're sort of always missed out because they're just in the middle, aren't they? They're not, they're not about to finish and they're not young. Um, but we've, we've, we could easily have 10 more years of those guys. You know, there's, there's plenty of time for them to still be at the top uh, while youngsters emerge. But, yeah, it's an interesting debate, isn't it? I, I mean, I watching the sport all the time would rather see a, a varied amount of winners, but there is obviously a marketing benefit if there's a, if there's a, a massive superstar of the sport that is clearly, you know, the, the marketable one that um, can be rated among, like, the greatest sportsmen across all sports at any time. But... I suppose even if he's not winning all, that's Ronnie anyway, isn't it? So we've always got him. Yeah, very much so. And uh, Brian Campbell here is becoming something of a regular correspondent. And it's a bit of a monster here from Brian, so I'll maybe appraise you a bit. Um, when I was a child over 40 years ago, uh, Brian says, my grandfather taught me the basics of billiards. I was astounded when he told me at one time billiards was more popular than snooker. It may be my memory playing tricks on me, but I vaguely recall billiards being shown on BBC Two in the early 80s. I could be totally wrong, but certainly I don't ever remember seeing billiards on TV in recent times, the last 20 or 30 years. Now, I don't, and I don't really remember seeing billiards on telly as a boy, if I'm honest. But this is why I'd like people to write in and let us know, because um, someone will, no doubt about that. And... Brian said it seems to be you have to look on YouTube for it now. And in order to generate a bit of interest, he's often wondered why the billiards isn't promoted at the Crucible each, each April. There were always a couple of days during the two-table setup where there is no morning play. So why can't billiards be put on during one of those spare sessions? And, uh, well, he says the immediate argument might be who would be interested argument against it. But you have to start somewhere. Uh, Brian says, and uh, it would be a real shame, he says, if billiards just dies out with less uh, future generations not taking an interest in it, especially if they're actually never exposed to it. Finally, as a more recent convert to your podcast, may I wish you both a very happy Christmas. Thank you for all the happy hours of listening this year. And I look forward to more great episodes in 2022. Kind regards, Brian. No, we never praise you the praise bit, Phil. We all- <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Make sure that goes in in full. Um, thank you, Brian. A very Merry Christmas to you as well, sir. Yeah, no, I was interested. I was thinking, you know, in all the years I've played in established actual snooker clubs, I don't really remember seeing billiards. I'm talking about the Stonebow uh, clubs, the Stonebow Centre I played in for a long time at York when I was a student. Uh, King's Cross in London I played played in a fair bit. Tooting that we, we played in, been there on and off. Other places as well. I really don't remember seeing it, but... The, the actual working men's club, I did quite a lot of um, socialising and drinking in when I, was, when I was younger, that had a couple of tables in. I would see billiards in there. And there was that, I think it was a billiards league or certainly a billiards night. And I, I've even played it a couple of times and watched it, you know, a fair bit. And I always seem to remember people at the table for absolutely ages, which I'm not sure, you know, from a TV point of view, would be that, maybe that interesting. But also... I think Barry Hearn once said there weren't enough balls on the table to, to, to cater for television, which is possibly a, you know, a fair way of saying it as well. And listen, if anyone knows about marketing and, and, and telly, it's, it's Barry. Um, it, it, it's a game of skill, of course, and, you know, a brilliant one for learning the angles and, you know, the dimensions of a table. But yeah, it, it, it doesn't seem to have that kind of appeal. And, Maybe maybe it's an idea. Maybe other Q sports could be promoted more. But let's face it, Phil, you know, if we were speaking two or three years ago, you hardly saw any pool anywhere, did you? Yeah. But now you can't move for pool. This big event coming to London next year. It's all over the tele. Not just the Moscone Cup anymore, but loads of different tournaments. You see it on the BBC website. You see it on Free Sports. You see it on Sky. Matchroom really getting behind it now. So if the will's there, I think you can generate interest in... in, in well, I think any particular Q sport billiards is a, a bit of a niche one, but well, obviously Brian's a, Brian's a fan. I mean, but uh, you know, where do you stand on this? Too, too few balls as Barry Hearn right there. Well, I'll be honest. I know next to nothing about billiards. I mean, my local in Reading is a bar billiards table. I played that a little bit. Um, 
but I, I, I've never I never watched a game of billiards. I'll be honest. I've seen little clips of it, obviously. But uh, no, I mean, if he's talking about a younger generation, uh, just not knowing much about it, I'm afraid I'd class me <laughs> not being that young, but maybe even my generation's in that. Um, so yeah, it would take it would take um, a promoter with quite a lot of passion and quite a, quite a lot of money to uh, to boost that up. But um, yeah, it's still obviously played uh, uh, reasonably widely, isn't it? But um, yeah, in terms of it getting back on TV or anything, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, as I say, I mean, I'm so far from an expert on billiards, I can't really make make much comment. Well, is it? And it's you know, WPBSA, of course, you know, the name itself does show that billiards is still a growing concern, mm. and it is something that interests people. And yeah, maybe maybe you know, put the idea out there as Brian has. Maybe I think actually in the crucible is a bit of a of a. A pie in the sky objective, really. Nothing wrong with those sometimes. Aim high and all that. That's a bit unlikely, but maybe the Winter Gardens, which, which we of course famously recorded in, didn't we, film? Yeah. Scamper in there to avoid that horrible storm when we recorded that episode last spring. Uh, you know, they they have a snooker table in there, and people can regularly play. I see Martin Gould in there. Um, playing with the public in, in, during past championships when he's gone out, Martin's been good enough to do that. Uh, maybe, you know, get two or three, you know, top billiards players to show people that game. And, you know, it's certainly an idea. And, and maybe if you've got interest in billiards out there and know, you know, uh, more about its history and more about, you know, what the places it is enjoyed now, do write into us, let us know, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at Talking Snooker. One other thing we've had, Phil, correspondence-based pointed out to us, this is very quite niche and nerdy, really, but we <laughs> like that. It's connected to something that another one of our uh, correspondents called Steve uh, pointed out, Steve Dunn, uh, who wrote in to say that he'd had a look at past tournaments and found that Steve Davis, Stephen Hendry, John Parrott and Jimmy White had never actually been the four semi-finalists at a ranking event. This was in response to Alan McManus uh, when he came on here in October and said that it was so difficult for him in his early days on tour because the big four were so dominant. Um, but actually, someone points out that they did reach the last four at the 1990 World Championship. Who would ever accuse us snooker people of liking the minutiae and detail involved <laughs> in this sport field? No one could no <laughs> accuse us of that, surely. <laughs> I mean, at least it was a big tournament. I thought it was going to go really near. It was going to be some obscure oh, one. No, it was a big one. I can tell you, it was a big one. I've got AOB written down here because you know what? We're never going to do anything that's going to prevent us from forgetting things. And you know what? I think it's... For some reason, I had it in my head the other day. I thought I might say this. It's a bit of a washing up thing. If, if Paul Barnes is listening to us, one of our loveliest fans and listeners. He always has a nice word to say about us. And he listens to us when he's washing up. And I always say, you must have the cleanest pots and pans in the Midlands. <laughs> Some of the length of episodes that we do. But I often think of it as, when I'm washing up, I think, ah, oh, why didn't I say that about Selby? Or why didn't I mention that Higgins did that? And of course, you know, we, we do make notes, but not massively extensively. We, we do forget things. But I think the old bit of AOB at the end might at least, you know, we might forget one or two, you know, things fewer if we have that. So I don't think I've got any other business for this one. Have you, Phil? No, pretty sorted, yeah. Um, yeah, it's another, another great week, as you said, right at the start. It's, uh, it's been good. But, yeah, I think we I think I'm spent. I've had my uh, I've had my booster jab today, so feeling quite weary. So I might, that might be me done, I think. Bedfordshire is our destination now. And thank you very much. Uh, for tuning in uh, next week we're going to have our review of the year we're going to go through the year chronologically could be a marathon that one just to warn you now so uh, i love those days between christmas and new year i think it's the one time you're never under pressure to do anything so really good chance to relax in those liminals if you want a bit of good snooker chat we'll be along with our review of the year but before that we've got our christmas special coming your way very soon and i know you cynics out there are just thinking are oh, you're just going to give us a normal episode and just call it a Christmas special. We know what you're up to. Everyone does that. It's the way you package it. Well, you may be right. We'll, we'll wait and see. But that's coming your way soon, as well as our review of the year. So we're not done for 2021 on this podcast yet. But for now, Phil, um, you, you are boosted up, as I was just over a week ago. 
and uh, we, we, we will ha we'll have sweet dreams tonight thinking of, of what a wonderful week of snooker we've seen and it's great to see you sir yeah pleasure always to be here and thanks everyone for listening always a treat to have you on board indeed keep your thoughts coming talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at uh, talking snooker for now I'm Phil and myself cheerio Sports Social Podcast Network Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.